Hey Andy, this is Andrew Escada. My question uh, comes out of Churches in Crisis of Decline. You talk a lot about resonance, and that comes from Hartmut Rosa, but I'm wondering if there are times in which relevance is actually needed to lead us towards resonance, this idea of uh, waiting for being and communal existence. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about the distinction between resonance and relevance, and if in our modern world and church culture and late modernity, if there is a place for relevance in the church. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Well, that's a really good question that that Andrew has. And, you know, I do think it's fair when you think about the stuff that I write and probably the the way that I, I work theologically is there's there's always kind of a boogeyman at play, you know? So in, in Churches in the Crisis of Decline, relevance is most definitely uh, the boogeyman or at least one of the boogie men is that how you would say that um so i don't think any pastor should think well my job is to be as irrelevant as i can be and you know you sometimes hear that you know like uh people are like well all this bs about being relevant as a pastor i'm really trying to be irrelevant like i want to recover it's usually some fetishizing of the tradition or something you know what i mean like of course the the liturgy, uh, this form of liturgy and things like that is, of course, it's irrelevant. That's what makes it great, you know. Um, and we, we should we should be trying to be more irrelevant. And I don't buy that, you know. Actually, I don't I don't think that's a really good way forward. But you can see I'm trying to thread a very, a very, uh, a, a very small needle. I'm trying to thread a needle. I don't know. Can you thread a small needle? I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to go through a very small eye of a needle here. Is to um, to not kind of fall into let's race to be irrelevant um, and then therefore just be protectionist towards the tradition or something, but also trying to be very conscious that I am somebody who would be like, you know, let's go forward. Let's, let's find the cool way to do this stuff. But that also comes with its own traps and it's, it's, its own burden. So again, I don't think a pastor should try to be irrelevant, but I also don't think you should try to be relevant. And I, I guess that becomes the real call of ministry is how do you how do you somehow mine your own experience that relevance is just becomes like the classic bumper sticker, you know, like, you know, shit happens, relevance happens. Um, but really you're doing what kind of Luther called us to, or he has my favorite Luther quote, which probably now under the heat of this podcast, I'll screw it up, but my favorite Luther quote is where he says a theologian um, is not made by reading and writing. Really, his, a theologian is not made by speculation is what he's getting at. It's not made by pure speculation. Um, that a theologian, no, a theologian is made by living. And then he says not even by living, but actually by being damned and going to hell is what a, where a theologian is made. And um, there could be some real relevance when you proclaim the gospel next to your own death experience where you where you lead out of the your own struggles as a human being um but there is a way that even relevance becomes a marketed form of speculation and so if luther hates speculation he he hates this kind of sense of kind of thinking that this kind of scholastic sense where you can you think you can you you actually think you can get inside the mind of god in some ways he he hates that but we almost have this different 
Protestant problem in America where now the pastor isn't really trying to speculate and get inside the mind of God as much as trying to speculate and get inside the mind of the market. And if you could get inside the mind of the market and you could speculate about what your the neighbor your your neighbor really um, what would essentially you wouldn't say this, but what would manipulate them to come to church, then you're the good pastor. And that's the kind of relevance I think needs to come under the condemnation of the cross to keep with Luther themes here. But the kind of relevance that is born out of your own death experience, out of your community's own death experience, um, that connects to something bigger is is really important. And to me, that sounds like maybe the difference between relevance and authenticity. And I know authenticity is a loaded word, too, when you get into Charles Taylor's stuff. But (laughs) that idea of like, okay, at our church, we're going to throw all this money and have lasers and smoke machines and put on this really cool experience, as opposed to someone who's authentic and has seen some shit in their life, and and they're going to testify to it. And and it's a really powerful experience when in the presence of somebody who's, who's bearing their soul like that. To me, that's the authenticity part that you just can't replicate by by throwing resources at something, you know. Well, yeah, well it is fascinating because even in the Charles Taylor vein and I, and I, you know, I think I want to state this on this podcast as clearly as I can is that, you know, I I've had a lot of critical things to say about the way authenticity and the ethic of authenticity plays itself out in our, our cultural milieu. But I'm all for authenticity. You know, I, I've said this too in my writing that I'm much more of a romantic than not, you know. So I'm all for authenticity. Um, authenticity is a, is a really good thing. But it, it brings back, you know, like to read authenticity and what is authenticity through that Luther quote and really through the heart, I think, of of the German romantics is that authenticity really is the wrestling with your need for salvation up against death or your need to find some way, some meaning, some purpose up against being in hell, finding your way in hell. And so um, that becomes a question. I mean, I, you know, it's interesting and maybe this is controversial now to say on this podcast, but when you look at the, the real quote unquote winners of relevance in American Protestant Christianity, there tends to be no cross in their dynamic of ministry and their their theology. You know, there's no sense of the relevance of the gospel or the relevance of the Christian confession is that they were dead and now they are alive. Um, their the relevance is, you know, like Justin Bieber worships here or something. You know, or um, you know, like our our online. Our, our online strategy or our, our, our socials are have incredible reach, you know. So relevance becomes, I guess this is the to loop back to, to Rosa, like rele- relevance becomes about reach, not about depth. And I guess that's that's the real difference um, is, is it about reach or is it about a, a certain level of, of depth? But that depth too, we, we need to warn ourselves for. That depth isn't just like, being signed to an indie label, it is, it is the reality and the confession of of real death and the need for God's act to come and bring life out of that. So I'm wondering about the interplay between the two relevance and resonance. When I think about relevance, I always think there's resources attached to it, at least in the sense that you're talking about. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Um, 
So there, there's some kind story. of product. Uh, there's some kind of product connected to it, you know, and I, and I think that's right, the, right, right, and, and that's right. what instrumentalizes it. So can you have? Right. I guess this is to Andrew's question. Like, can you have relevance without a product? And, and even that product yeah. being yourself in the performance of yourself. Right. So this summer uh, here in the Twin Cities, the musical Wicked came to town. Uh, did you go see it, Andy? At the at the no. No, I didn't, but okay. I, I've seen so, it in London, and uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I, I, I've never seen it before, and so our family went, and, and my two uh, kids are six and seven. They're super into The Wizard of Oz. They watch that movie all the time. So we all just kind of went blind into this show, not knowing what it was, not knowing the story, spoiler, not knowing the twist at the end, uh, and we were just absolutely blown away by it. And I had this cool thing happen at the end. And again, I'm going to spoil Wicked right now for for everybody who had. You've had 20 years to see the musical, but you know, if you want to pause the podcast right now, go watch it. But basically, at the end, you find out that the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, survived and and ran away with her true love, the Scarecrow. And it was sort of this like retro con uh, of of uh, the Wizard of Oz. And the coolest thing happened. My my kid sitting next to me looked at me and goes what like what just happened and and she's old enough now where like the plot twist connected in her head and the production was great the the the, the actors were great the special effects the set design everything was great and it just kind of made this magical moment between me and my kid and it reminded me of that scene of Mad Men where Don Draper takes his son to go see Planet of the Apes yeah and then his kid figures out the twist ending okay I had that same experience with my daughter and it was a true resonant moment for me uh, just to say, hey, I got this daughter now who's old enough to figure out these plot twists, and we just had this really magical evening together, all this kind of stuff. But the thing is, like, if that play wasn't top tier and had millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in it, and if the actors weren't great and all that kind of stuff, we probably wouldn't have had that experience. So my question is, is there an interplay there between resonance and, and relevance, and is that okay? I, and maybe that's kind of what, what he's getting at, too. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I just, I, yeah, I wonder about. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right. There's something about the power of the artistic accomplishment of, of the show put on that needed millions of dollars, and needed a marketing budget, and needed you to pay. You shouldn't say how much you paid for those tickets on this podcast, but probably paid a, a lot of, a lot of money for yeah, them. Yeah, it was, it was a fair sum for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, what mattered, I mean, we've all been at a, all sorts of things that have been huge, huge production value and huge price tag and they've sucked, you know, like they've, they've been done poorly or, I mean, how much stuff, you know, like is actually done really well, but never really connects to us with us, never really speaks to us, never really draws us into anything. And so, uh, you know, it, it is kind of, to me, what comes out of your story, Derek, is how important it was that she could put together stories on top of stories. Like, she found herself seeing a bigger story connected. Like, it, it you know, the, the Don Draper thing, too. Like, he sees, like, how this is connected to a larger story. And to me, that is a way of of evaluating or of naming good relevance is that it usually is narratival it usually pulls you out into a bigger story um 
it, it, it isn't kind of trying to win brand affiliation is, is connecting into something a lot bigger. Like, so I just not too long ago on a, on a, a long flight downloaded and watched all of the Obi-Wan Kenobi on, on Disney plus. And then I, you know, I had to give Cara, my wife, the, the review of it. And my review is that it was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed all six episodes much more than, either the Mandalorian or the book of Boba Fett. I really enjoyed it. Um, and yet, like when I look at the story itself, I didn't feel like it was that good. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of the acting wasn't that great, except Ewan McGregor was great. So he, he held so many scenes, just the gravitas of Ewan McGregor. But the other piece that was so great about it is that it was filling in this larger narrative that has been important to me of Star Wars. You know, so you're, you're kind of, you know, you're located... Um, after movie three and before Rogue One, and you're also getting all these kind of connections to the New Hope movie, and it is there is something really profound that makes that story feel really relevant because it it drops me in and makes connections to other stories that have been formative to me. So again, to to your to your example, and then to Andrew's question. I do think there's a way that this, that story itself and the narrative shape of Christian faith means that there has to be something like relevance. But is that relevance, again, bound in a deeper kind of narrative that connects with a push towards, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess even the, like the story of your own finitude and how, um, you know, I, I, I do think like that's like the way the early church read this or other places around the world hear the Christian story, like all of a sudden they are very much living with the reality of brokenness and death. And now there's a story that not necessarily rationally makes sense of it, but has an answer to it. You know, that has a direct answer to it in this incredibly profound way of, of God entering so deeply into it that God dies and is made and then, uh, it's made alive again in the body of Jesus Christ. And I think you know? I think the struggle, though, not to interrupt you here, yeah, quick, no. but I think the struggle is in a lot of those instances, you need those resources to pull off telling the story. Yeah, like like if you just had you know some guy in your neighborhood putting on a puppet show of Obi Wan Kenobi and hitting all the plot points, it wouldn't work as well, right? You you need the the budget and the special effects, and you need to pay Ewan McGregor millions and millions of dollars. So I think the struggle for church leaders is you got that big mega church down the road where they're pumping probably millions of dollars into all of their special effects and production values and stuff. And I think they would argue, like, we're telling the story better than little dinky guy over there who's just reading out of the Bible, you know? there's a tension there. And I guess as a church leader, I, I, I struggle to like figure out how somebody who's in the position of not having as many resources can tell that same story as, as powerfully. And I know there's some false dichotomies in there too, but, but that's, I guess that's the yeah. tension I feel as a church leader. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's no doubt if, if you do as a pastor slide in and I guess this, this is again, is to answer Andrew's question. Maybe you can edit that all those answer Andrew question out of it out of here, Derek. But um, I mean, this this becomes the tension is is relevance fundamentally performative, and if it is performative in the logic of yeah, I mean, so I I, I guess I I don't necessarily think that 
the best stories actually had just by this is a little bit like baseball, right? Like just because you have the highest budget, just because you are the New York Yankees, it does probably mean you're going to be in the pennant race, but it doesn't mean you're going to win the World Series. You know what I mean? And I, and I kind of feel a similar way when it comes to, for sure, if we want to say that, like the proclamation of, of the depth of this story, the proclamation of the gospel itself, I suppose it helps if you have a huge budget with production value. But, you know, there's also been Waterworld, man. You know, there's also been all sorts of of shows and stories that have tried to be told with huge Game of amounts Thrones of season budgets. eight. Yeah, maybe Game of Thrones season eight. That's very controversial, though. So we, you know, we should be careful with that. Uh, I also, the season... dragon's fantastic, though. Yes, it is. I liked season eight. I just hated the finale. So I, I could have lived with the rest of it. But so I mean, it, there you you still need the story, and and I think particularly in the in the sense of of ministry. Um, I don't know. I I just would take, and maybe I'm naive. I would take nine times, excuse me, ten times out of ten. I would take the little old lady who doesn't even really know what she's saying and is nervous and bumbles around, but really proclaims the presence of God up against her darkest hour. Then some flashy production value of a worship experience. Um, I, you know, you call that authentic, uh, but I just call it, I just think it's the dynamics of, of life to death that come out of it. So there's no doubt it helps to have budget, but I just don't think if we can disconnect these things, if we can disconnect relevance from resources, which I think is what Andrew's asking, and I do think it's possible, um, but I think it's really, really difficult in a late modern neoliberal age. We went on a youth trip a few summers ago, um, and the company that was putting on the youth trip that we were on had this, you know, church group time every night, and they had, instead of uh, people doing a little devotion, they had these, like, really slick produced videos that they had made, Um, and so we all had to sit there with our kids and watch these videos that were all, like, slick and flashy and had music and all this kind of stuff, and they really fell like super flat. Like hmm. they had spent a ton of money on these things and they were really slick. But what was interesting is talking to my kids, they were just kind of like, can we just like skip the videos tonight? Cause we just want to get together in like our church group and talk about like what we did today and share highs and lows and stuff like that. I think that's exactly what you're getting at is, you know, you can spend resources on stuff, but if you're not connecting to that story and, and those individual stories, like it just falls flat and, Absolutely. and everybody can sense it. Yeah. And, and- Honestly, what will impact kids' lives more is hearing, you know, like particularly the leaders on the trip or people that they've gone to church with or know in their neighborhood narrate these experiences and tell a story, even if they can't tell it as well as, you know, a paid storyteller. Um, Yeah. When Church Stops Working, featuring Dr. Andy Root, is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard, and is brought to you by Baker Publishing. 
Andy has lots of great books out by Baker right now, including his brand new book, The Church After Innovation. You can find it right now on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. And again, a special thanks to Andrew Escada for the great question for today's podcast. If you liked our show, please give us a review on iTunes and tell a friend or two about our podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops Working.